Hello everyone and welcome back to the 16mm Film Crew Podcast. I'm Cindy. I'm Zale. You can watch us on YouTube, you can like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can support us on Anchor for bonus content. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Music, and Spotify at 16mm Film Crew Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at 16mm Group Podcast and on Instagram at 16mm Group. Okay, mm-hmm. this week we watched The Trial of the Chicago 7, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. Um, this film is based on the infamous, infamous 1969 <laughs> trial of seven defendants charged by the federal government with conspiracy or arising from the countercultural protests in Chicago at the 1968 Democratic National Convention. The trial transfixed the nation and sparked a conversation about mayhem intended to undermine the U.S. government. Um, this film stars Sasha Bear Cohen, Eddie Romaine, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Iyaya Abdul-Mateen, Jeremy Strong, Mark Rylance, Frank Langella. Sure, that old guy who's in most movies that you've seen, and my my young son Kelvin, Kelvin Harrison. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you think? Yeah. Of um. Um. This movie was wow. It wasn't what I expected it to be. Um. I think it's very timely. Well, not timely. The timing for it was perfect, in a way. Um. And it was kind of this perfect storm of situation where the issues that they were dealing with in this movie, kind of you know, repeated itself. Um. Apparently, Aaron, Aaron Sorkin was working on this movie back in, like, 2007. And it wasn't until, um, like, Steven Spielberg was a producer, and they already attached Sasha to that to the movie since then. But they were always finding directors and actors. I think at one point, it said that they were looking at Will Smith to play um, uh, Abdul's role, which I find interesting. You know, I can see Will Smith as a Black Panther leader doesn't give off that that thing that anger mm-hmm. um and i think they're also looking at heath ledger to play um i think eddie redmayne's character um but yeah the movie was perfect um i do feel a bit as though even though um bobby keever and the black panther party and all those members they weren't in the involved with the trial for that long like in the book exactly what happened in the movie he was gagged repeatedly for x amount of days and then finally the they all said we're gonna just retry him on a different date separately but they still called after he left and became a chicago chicago seven in the beginning with chicago eight i do feel like they could have kept those scenes with him in the movie for longer to not just like you you gotta sell how crooked the judge was you know, you can't just have him bound and gag for one day. I want, like, and having him there for more scenes would have added to the movie, because he's only there for the courtroom scenes, what I feel is, or either you see him in court or you see him in jail, which I feel that is a great reduction and diminishing of his role and his part, especially back then, where it's a known fact that, you know, FBI was not only trying to subvert and, you know, 
disseminate themselves into these groups, but for the Black Panther Party, for the most part, because all our leaders got killed, you know, and their leaders kind of got to live out their lives as they wanted to. So I felt though they could have, they could have helped, they could have stretched it a bit and had more scenes in there with him. Um, but other than that, I, am, I I loved it. You know, this for this being Aaron Sorkin Sorkin's second time directing. You know, that's that's amazing because his strength is writing. But for him to actually get behind the director's chair and put forth the actual vision he wrote was amazing. Yeah, I um I thought the writing was perfect because it's it's a Sorkin script, so you know you know what you're getting once you know his name's anything. Um, yeah. performances were wonderful because I mean the cast is stacked, so like the performances were going to be great regardless. I do agree with you on your point about um, Yaya's role. He played Bobby Seal. Um, and the black people in general in this movie, I, that was one of my biggest gripes was that um, they were just not in the movie that much. Like after a while, their parts were just, they just, you just stopped seeing black people in the film. Yeah. And I feel like, I don't know. I feel like that's one of those things where it's like, you don't, when you, I feel like when you don't really have black people, like, in your production or you know working with you on your script or something like that like you're not going to think about like oh yeah like these people were important parts of what was happening like even though they didn't commit the crimes that they were accused of they were still a huge part they were they were a huge part of this moment like in 1968 like the black fenders were a huge huge deal so i feel yeah, like yeah. just kind of weeding them out somewhere in the middle like it just seemed really home deaf like it didn't make sense to me like why they just stopped showing up or why um they were just like in jail or killed like that wasn't good representation in my mind even though the performances were great it was just like so the white people are just gonna come in and save the day and then that's it like that's what you're trying to tell me like it just didn't I did not connect with that at all. I think that was a big misstep. And I also feel like the role that women played in this completely misstep. Like there was barely any women that were in this movie except for the one girl and she was a secretary. Like or the I feel like he needs to do some work when it comes to these people being represented in his movies. Because I understand like it's about these specific men, but like if you want to tell a well a well rounded story, you need to kind of show this event from all angles, especially because it's a historical event. Like people actually lived through this moment, so that was another one of my gripes. I thought that stylistically, this wasn't that interesting. I feel like the part where um, Sasha is kind of talking to the crowd, explaining what happens, and almost like a comedy stand up type of situation was interesting. I liked that choice but i just i don't know i feel like it was kind of bland like the, the colors weren't like popping like i wasn't like aesthetically satisfied when i was watching the movie i was just like okay i feel like the aaron sorkin david fincher pairing is iconic and i feel like if david fincher was like on this joint it would have been amazing like if he was directing and aaron was writing i would be like, i'm sold it would have looked great it would have sounded amazing 
and the dialogue and performances would have been great. So, but I agree with you. I feel like it's very poignant. Um, everything they were going through back then almost exactly lines up with what we just have been going through like in the last couple months and in the last couple years with police brutality. So I felt like this couldn't have come at a better, like more opportune. Very good time. Yeah, my, um, how should I say it? My major gripe with, you know, I, I don't know why I said Bobby Cheever for some reason, but it's like I said, it's Bobby Seal. Um, my issue with it, the only time we see the Black Panther Party really is the beginning of the movie where he's leaving to Chicago and say, oh, I'm making a speech. That's when you see them all organized. Every other group got their shot. The hippies, you got the, um, the, the, the Democratic students, you got every other group got that scene or more extended scenes of them organized and, he, and their leaders talking to their people outside of the Black Panther Party, which I feel like is a really big discredit. And also the movie does like skip over some parts because I was reading um, what they said, what the, what happened was um, there were, it wasn't just um, all these, um, how should I say this, left groups. Not all of them were also arrested, but the, the charges also brought up uh, violations against police officers as well. So police officers were being charged in the suit as well, as far as um, the violations by the police violating civil rights of demonstrators and using excessive force. So, like, apparently, I think they said um, there were about eight cops, I think, as well, in this case, being tried as well, and 17 other um, conspirators as well. So they would main eight there, but they were 17 other people from various backgrounds. It's kind of like almost, have you heard of the um, Red Scare? The Red Scare? Yeah. The communists? Yeah, it was, yeah, was kind of like that, where they mm -hmm. kind of got all these fringe groups and like rounded up where they're going to like charge all your leaders, you know. Martin's dead, Malcolm's dead, Bobby's dead, um, JFK's dead. Let's get all these other fringe groups, lock them up, throw away the key. It's kind of like that. What happened was with the Red Scare is they just went right through Hollywood. Anybody who was thought to be a socialist or a communist got got instantaneously, you know, red blackballed and they lost their career. It's kind of like a situation like that, mm -hmm. as far as this case. So, yeah. Yeah. Um. So I'll just go into what my favorite scene was. Um, my favorite scene was definitely when they were figuring out who was going to testify from their group. Uh -huh. Um, and it seemed like it was supposed to be Eddie Raymond, but then he caught caught in his own little situation, um, one like before their protest or whatever. Um, and then it ended up being Sasha who protested. But I like that conversation that they had right before he like Eddie Raymond like begs to like be on the stand, where they're talking about um how this is a political case, like even though they don't want to like say that this is political, like. It's a political, um, what's yeah, driven, you know. Case. And, it's a political trial, not a criminal. Yeah, trial. it's a political exactly. It's motivated by politics. I mean, so, and then they're talking about like their tactics and how they're seen as political figures, you know, from these like leftist groups. 
like because Sasha's like a hippie and he doesn't do things by the rules and blah blah blah. And Eddie Redmayne's character is kind of straight laced. He's the you know every man that is smart and whatever. And I like that they had that kind of back and forth. It was like you're doing things for a certain reason to boister your own position and your own platform, even though you're fighting for something that we all are, like. We're all on the same team, but we're just doing things differently. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make you better than me or me better than you. And I really like that exchange because, like, when you think about the stereotypes that people had placed on, especially, like, in the late 60s, early 70s, and I think we kind of talked about this when we talked about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like, hippies were really seen as, like, some really weird, no one really liked them. Like, (laughs) people thought they were just, like, dirty people walking around the streets yelling and screaming. But... What I think this movie shows, like, no, like, they are, like, they are intelligent. They actually have goals. They're actually trying to accomplish something, and they have a plan of how they're going to do it. They're just, they just don't look like you. So don't assume that they can't bring it when they need to bring it. And I really, I liked that experience a lot. Because I think most of the times we just judge things off of image, and we don't, like, give people the opportunity to be like, hey, you can't actually do this because you're the you're the figurehead for a reason. Like the, your people chose you to lead them for a reason, which means so you know it means that you can do this. So like I'm not, I don't know. I just like that exchange. I thought it was really interesting, really good writing. That's just like Aaron Sorkin at his best. Like that back and forth. Like you have two of people who who are able to kind of butt heads and still like get their points across. What's what's the word from Hamilton? Uh, diametrically opposed foes in a way. Um, mm-hmm. And like you said with the hippie thing, um, Aaron Sorkin. I was watching an interview with him talking about the movie. Um, he said himself that he purposely avoid that typical hippie iconography as far you know tie dye shirts and bright colors and tie- and that kind of stuff. Because he wanted to actually make a movie grounded in a way that it doesn't really fit any time period. It can kind of work then, it can work now. And your only real identifier of the time period, honestly, would be some clothes, some clothes in a way, because you know, those kind of those fashions have still come back to life and the cars. But other than that, like he wanted to make sure that the movie and this situation can happen at any time period, and I thought that was a good stylistic choice to kind of move away from, you know, the hippies being druggies and smoking the whole time. And to your point about showcasing their intelligence, um, I like that scene as well a lot because it kind of shows Eddie Redmayne's character because he even said himself he was a pallbearer at JFK's funeral. His uh, The person he played was a pallbearer. And he was always up front, like, Every character always says the moment they found out you were in jail, they all marched to jail and was like, "Oh, we have to get him out because you're that dude. You're the figure. Like you're the popular one out of everybody else." And he like condemned like the hippies, like, "Oh, you guys do all this outrageous stuff." And he's like, "Look, I don't have. We don't have money. So outrageous stuff is what we use to make the people come to hear our message, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. from there we expand upon those points." And mm-hmm. and I felt like it's kind of like. Um, Get Out kind of touched on this a, a little bit, is that whole white liberal mentality, I'm smart, I'm rich, I have money, Um, I should be, you know, higher than you, I know 
kind of thing. And I feel like their characters really sold that viewpoint. Like, just because you have a certain status doesn't mean you're worth more or no more than I do. And when they're going over the scene where the um they're going over the tape of him saying we're going to march or let blood run through the streets. Mm-hmm. And goes wrong. You didn't really say that. You missed the word. And he goes, yeah, I I thought to say hour and I didn't say hour kind of things. Mm-hmm. You do that. Con- he's like, you do that constantly in your writing. And he's shocked. You read my stuff. Like, yes, yeah, I read yeah. everything. Don't it's insult my intelligence because you made the assumption. Yeah, like I deserve, mm-hmm. I deserve that respect, and I really they touched upon that a lot. Yeah, there was uh, a mutual respect. I, like. I wish, I wish a lot about those scenes and those doubts. I really wish, like, you had scenes of, uh, I guess the hippies teaching him how to make Molotov cocktails and stuff like that. He's talking to all these young, rich white kids in college. I really wish the Black Panther Party had a scene where they're they're doing like food, their food work, their after school stuff, all those community services. I wish they got to showcase that scene in this movie. Yes, like I totally diametrically opposed their views, treating the streets like everybody else, but they're also focusing on building and fixing the communities. And I really think Aaron, he's one of my writers. He really missed the point by not mentioning mm-hmm. and showcasing in that light. It's really, really sad. Yes, he dropped the ball on that one. And I'll say that yeah. this, is an, yeah. this is one of those movies that I feel work better as a miniseries because that way you could actually get everyone's viewpoint in each episode. So, like, if you watch, I mean, I didn't watch when they see us, but I'm assuming they might have done something like that. But I've watched Mrs. America, which is about like the feminist movement. And they broke that stuff down every single... Shirley Chisholm had her own episode. And I said, come on now. This is what we're talking about. Let's get it. Like, I feel like they should have done done the same thing where it's like every viewpoint gets fleshed out. Because there's so much you can do in a courtroom. I feel like we could have done so much more if each person, like the little white liberals had their own episode and the people who were in government... Like in the beginning scene when Joseph Gordon Levitt and his and his the attorneys and stuff, like they could have their own little stuff. The Black Panthers could have their own episode. So I just feel like they could have done that, but because the movie was long anyway. So I mean, could have just drawn it up about two hours and ten minutes. Could have done that. It didn't feel that long though, which is good. Like, it was paced well, so I'm I was happy about that because you know yeah. I like long movies. So. I, I think a storytelling idea that could have probably worked the way you're talking about it would almost kind of be what Dolan did with John Kirk. Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. You showcase that it's one timeline, but it's a bunch of different events happening within that same timeline. You know? Mm. So that, that yeah. could have worked that very could've... well. I think it worked in Dunkirk because it wasn't about the characters. It was about the event. But with this, yeah. I kind of feel like it's, it's it is kind of character both. heavy. Like, they're, the people I matter. Mean, like, it, 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 as well I as mean, the event. They're you're both right. Equal. Yeah. Um, but that storytelling yeah. idea probably could have worked. Could have worked. Especially they if you tried some different whole... things, you know? That pre production. Yeah. They could have yeah. figured it out. And... <laughs> 
there, but you know, that's what we got. And it wasn't bad. It was just considering the subject matter, you would think that the black people would have more to do in this movie. So the fact that they didn't, it was just weird. Like it just felt like something it just felt like you knew something was missing, I guess. Is Come on, girls, we gotta get it together. So yeah, that's how I felt about this movie. <laughs> um what are you rating it? I am rating it a nine out of ten. Nine out of ten. Um set design, acting, you know, the overall story, the overall moments. You know, I really like uh Sasha's role as narrator in a way, filling in the periodic gaps. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, even though, you know, I was trying to avoid not him, but, you know, he did a job as the, you know, the prosecutor in a way. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10 because, I don't know, there was just some elements that I felt were missing. but. Good writing, good performances, it's always gonna elevate the movie, no matter what. And that and those are things that are important to me. That's what I look for. So I'm just gonna give it, you know, I said I thought it was good. I thought it was really good. <laughs> so that is that. You have some exciting news. Dexter is returning um for showtime for a five episode run and it, the show on um, showtime they plan to reunite michael c hall back with the original cast um we do know that um back in august during dc fandom that um was kind of revealed that aesthetic shock film was in the works um but it just recently was announced that it's actually michael b jordan is part of the production team behind it He's going to be producing the part of the project a part of his producing the project a part of his outlier society brand um yeah on to some box office news you know dealing with the whole COVID thing it turns out this past year that china has passed the us and becoming the world's largest market currently and that plays in the fact that china was able to adapt and overcome COVID, or you know they put forth measures so that we don't have the issue with constant cancellations of movies being premiered. So Chinese market grossed about two billion in the box box office last year. And on that box office note, um, Liam Neeson had a movie come out the past week called Honest Thief. It made uh, 1.7 billion in the box office, but those are the lowest ever in ticket sales to reach number one. Uh, it came out ahead of Christopher Nolan's Tenet. And Robert De Niro's comedy War Grandpa that was dropped last week. War Grandpa did beat out Tenet the week it was dropped. So it's funny people are still paying. Not funny, but due to you know lack of um films, people are still paying to go watch Tenet. And while we're talking about movie theaters, AMC is planning to reopen a bunch of theaters. Particularly, this story is in New York. Uh, they're planning to open up um October. 23rd in accordance with um the governor cuomo's reopening plan um and amc execs say new york is a vital theatrical new york is vital to the yeah theatrical exhibition industry 
I don't know what's going on with AMC because why open a theater is if um I know people need to work, but you're not going to make much money because all the box offices here have kind of not box offices, but all production companies are kind of holding out on releasing new content. So I don't think it's that necessary to rush it. Um, and on that note of new content, um, it seems both Thor: Love and Thunder um is going into production um this coming January, and I think as well the Rocks uh jam spinoff um for Black Adam should start shooting at that same time. Um, Spider Man Three I think should be shooting around right now as well so keep a lookout for those um and on some you know this is for you cindy some black girl magic in this industry um the academy museum of motion pictures announced it has hired jacqueline stewart as its chief artistic and programming officer the scholar film programmer writer um the long long list of jobs her most recent role was at the university of chicago department of cinema and media studies as a professor and Channing, Channing Dungey, um, who just left her job at Netflix as the vice president of the original's content. Um, she's now been tapped to replace Peter Roth as chairman of Warner Bros. Television Group. So she's up, it's not the film, but it's TV, you know, they deal with um, CW and other platforms like that. Um, he plans on stepping down early next year. But while at Netflix, uh, Channing, she was responsible for, you know, them bringing in Game of Thrones as a onto the platform, and also she helped pick production deals. Regina King, um, Maria Brock Ali, um, Michael Green, Gina Rodriguez. Um, she also pushed for uh, Octavia's film, um, self made uh, story of Madison Teacher Walker, Hillary Swank projects, Shonda Rhyme projects. Um, so yeah, um good to see you know industry is diversifying and putting more color in these positions of high and much needed prestige and leadership position okay yep (laughs) that sounds good to me all right so have you been watching anything interesting this week this week um no i kind of rewatched now I went back on my um, you know, my Miyazaki tip. I kind of we watched Kiki's Delivery Service. I don't know why, but I'm gonna do a live reaction to Kiki's Delivery Service one day and let y'all join in my childhood nostalgia and wonderment. Um, I am interested. I guess the moment should have passed. Um, the trailer for season two of The Mandalorian just released this um Monday, as um during the NFL Monday Night Halftime show. So if you haven't, if you weren't watching um, Monday Night Football, go check YouTube, it should be on it. But other than that, no, that's, I haven't watched anything. What have you watched? I have watched, well, first I watched this trailer for the 355, I think that's what it's called, with like Lupita Nyong'o and Jessica Chastain, like a whole bunch of amazing women just like beating people up like, a better Ocean's 8, like, the female version that they tried to make, like, it's, this seems like a, like a, a legit, like, espionage, really cool movie, so, I can't wait to see that, 
but I watched a documentary called The Hunting Ground, which is about um, sexual assault that happens on college campuses. And I was like, oh, this is too real because, wow, like, this is a huge issue. And I feel like it's not talked about. But that was a really interesting documentary. And then I finished The Vow. If you guys have been following this podcast, I've spoken about The Vow before, The Vow on HBO, about the alleged sex cult. Oh my lord, it is like the craziest thing. I've been trying to put my friends onto it just because like it's so insane. But I finished watching it because finale was yesterday, and um, yeah, like we gotta. I don't know what I don't know really. I don't really know what to say about this docu series. It was just crazy, and like people are so evil. Anyways, that's what. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I have no words for it. It's just so insane. But yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that sets your wheelhouse. I'll leave it up to you. Kind of, I'm kind of ready for, you know, I just want these movies to come out. You know, I just want these movies to come out. Like, I think, what was it? Uh, I think it was Saturday or Sunday. You know, I was reading through it, and it was like the last this time last year. I think Jojo Rabbit came out. Yeah. Like, I was like, that was like my favorite movie of like the last couple, you know, like you know, a minute. And I was like, and year went by that quickly. I could have sworn Jojo Rabbit came out like in like January or whatever, but no, it came out. Yeah, it came out last year. Oh, last year was so great. Like we were just out watching movies. Like finding new things. I can't even. I can't guarantee that when the Oscars roll around next year, I would have watched most of those movies that will be nominated. Like I can't. I can't guarantee that I. I would have seen them. I have no idea. Like, (laughs) like. Yeah. It's sad, but this pandemic is just it's not it it refuses to quit like it (laughs) it truly refuses to quit so i don't even know what next year's looking like honestly because we don't even got a handle on the situation in front of us i'm not like i'm not too sure i'm kind of like just put everything online please so i can watch it but people still gotta make it i don't understand that like these studios are fighting like video on demand and stuff, but that was their whole purpose for making all these streaming platforms. You know, it's absurd in a way that that's happening. Like, hey, we're gonna make all these streaming platforms, so we're not gonna put our content on there. It's like, why am I paying all this money? Like, why am I paying fourteen dollars, you know, for all these platforms, but y'all not putting new content on there? So. Hopefully it works out with Netflix. Mm. You know, they kind of stole everything from everybody at the last couple of film festivals, so. <laughs> stole? <laughs> That's so funny. You know? Um, but yeah, so we'll see what goes on in the, in the upcoming one. But that's all for us here today. Yeah, um, close up the show. On a side note, it's just announced that, um, 
picture of Bridges. He has uh, leukemia. Um, we take that very seriously. It's a form of cancer. He's had a long story career in Hollywood from the dude to um, Obadiah State and Iron Man, Mike Lebowski, well, the dude and Mike Lebowski, um, Trump. So, yeah, we want to keep his family in our hearts and our thoughts and prayers. Um, so, yeah, go and give those who love the flowers when you can. Don't wait till the last minute until you can't. Um, also, you know, election season now. Hope to see you on same time, same channel next week. Look at Cat 16 Millimeter Film Crew Podcast. Um, this is Dale and Sydney signing off. Au revoir.